Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We've been going through the book of Ephesians for a very long time, since the beginning of the summer, and uh, we're coming to a close, and we're going to finish off with this series in the armor of God that we've been going through. We've already talked about the belt of truth. We talked about the breastplate of righteousness, and I'm going to skip a little bit, and today we're going to talk about the, he the helmet of salvation, because I believe it, it ties really well with uh, what we're going to witness later in baptism. You know, when I was younger, I never liked wearing a helmet. I refused to wear a helmet oftentimes because it didn't look cool, right? When you're on your skateboard or your bike, when you're a kid, it just doesn't look cool. Come on, any kids in here know what I'm talking about in the 80s or 90s? You knew what I'm talking You just wanted to look cool when you rode your skateboard. But I'm in my mid-30s now. I've got kids, and I don't care how I look. I just want to survive when I crash. Because inevitably, I'm going to fall off. I still ride my longboard with my kids. They get on their scooters. And uh, last, a couple of weeks ago, we actually, we rode all the way to Rite Aid and to Lions Park. And my kids all followed me on their scooters as I was on my longboard. And I just want to survive a wreck. You know, I, I remember, does anybody in this room snowboard or skateboard? Anybody in here? A few of you. Uh, I remember when I was first learning to snowboard, I would wear a helmet because uh, it's pretty sketchy up there on the icy mountain. And I remember taking a few wrecks and, and just coming down on my head and so thankful, so grateful that I was wearing a helmet in those moments. And I also, I know what it's like to take a head injury without wearing a helmet. When I was 17 years old, I was on a cruise ship with my grandma, because who doesn't want to go on a cruise with their grandma, right? I was on a cruise with my grandma, and it was raining. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. I was trying to impress some young girls that were there. I was, like I said, I was, I think I was 17 at the time. And I was running on top of the deck, and I tried to do a spin, and I just landed right on my face, broke my front two teeth out. I blacked out for about 10 seconds, had multiple concussions. I was, I was fainting. Uh, I was fainting uh, on, on the way down to the doctor's office at the bottom of the cruise ship. And I, I wished in that moment that I was wearing a helmet because I probably would still have my front two teeth. These are, all, these are fake, by the way, and I need to get some new ones. But, you know, they're, they're, I do. I really do. They, I, a few summers ago, I was eating a piece of licorice, and one of these things popped out. Right? Some of you remember, I showed a picture of it on stage. And I told myself I wasn't going to do that today because last time you wouldn't take it off the screen. Everybody kept laughing at it and trying to snapshot it with their phones. I was like, put your phones away. This is not to share. This is just for church. But, you know, there is one helmet that I really enjoy wearing. It's this one right here. Anybody know what this one is? I like wearing this one. It makes me feel powerful. It's a little big for my head. Anybody know what movie this is from? Come on, Gladiator, that's what I'm talking about. My, my parents got this helmet for me when I was, uh, when they were in Rome at the Colosseum. How cool, this, this helmet came from the Colosseum. It was, it was worn by actual gladiators. Just kidding, just kidding. No, but my, my kids, they absolutely hate it when I put this helmet on. I, and the dogs, the dogs hate it when I wear this helmet too. And so I can't wear, I can't wear it around the house, but I'm going to whip it out today because this is probably one of the only sermons throughout the entire year that I can actually use the helmet as we talk about the helmet of salvation today. Uh, if you're with me in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, 
uh, we're going to read through verse 18. And I talked last week about how the breastplate of righteousness guards our hearts and protects our vital organs. And the helmet protects something equally as vital, doesn't it? And it's your mind. Remember that we've talked in the past it through this series that we have an adversary, that the word Satan in the Bible is not actually a name. It's a Hebrew word that just means the adversary. And uh, we have an adversary that attacks us with lies. That is his weapon of choice. That is his mode of attack as he attacks our minds with lies. And so it is so vital that we put on the helmet of salvation to guard our minds as we follow Jesus. In verse 10 of chapter 6, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's very obvious when you read Scripture that Paul did not see our journey, our, our following Jesus as this light-hearted journey, although it brings us joy, but it's not uh, skipping through the meadows, right? It, the, the Apostle Paul saw following Jesus as an act of war. It is warfare, spiritual warfare, and we have adversaries, we have enemies that are trying to take us down, and it is so vital that we place on the armor of God. And in this letter to the Thessalonians, uh, in Thessal 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, Paul describes this armor more, more fully as the hope of our salvation. This is what he says. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. What is the hope of salvation mean? Because we're all hoping to be saved, right? All of us are hoping to be saved, and nobody wants to go to hell. Most people actually believe that they won't. Most people believe that they aren't going to hell. And if you ask the average American why should God let you into heaven when you die? The most common answer you're probably going to get from people is that I'm not any worse than most people, right? Like, I've done a lot of good things in my life, and I think at the end of my life, the good things that I've done is going to outweigh the bad things that I've done, and therefore I should be allowed to get into heaven. Because we look around the room and we say, well, at least I didn't do what that person did. Right? At least my sin isn't great as the person on the opposite side of the room or the person sitting next to me. I'm a little bit better than that person. We compare our righteousness with the righteousness of people to our left and our right, with the righteousness of the people in our lives. 
But we are supposed to place our righteousness and, and hold it against God's standard, and it is seen in the righteousness of Jesus. And it doesn't even come close, does it? And this type of salvation, the hope of salvation that this is, it looks more like this. It's not a helmet that's going to protect you. I'm not going to wear this for the whole message, by the way. But this type of hope that, that places that places hope in your own ability to do good things, it's more like wearing a sun hat, right? It might be comfortable. It might be trending, right? A lot of people might be wearing it, but it's not going to protect you when the day of evil comes. Now, some of you are looking at me like I'm ridiculous. I'm going to take this off. It's not going to protect you when the battle grows fierce. That kind of hope, the kind of hope that relies solely on your actions and behaviors, it will not protect you when the battle grows fierce. It's a vague optimism about your salvation. I hope I go to heaven. I hope that I'm good enough. And it's not the kind of hope that Paul is talking about when he says the hope of your salvation. If you're depending on your own goodness to get you into heaven, that you're never really going to know where you're going when you die. How good is good enough to meet God's standard? What if you do something terrible later on in life? You give your life to Jesus, but then you do something really, really bad. And when I look into my own heart... And I see the wrong things that I do every single day. I know that I, for one, I don't have a chance. I don't have a chance of going to heaven based on my own record. And I could never be sure of going to heaven on my own goodness, my own righteousness. It's not going to save me. It's wearing the sun hat. It's not going to protect me. I can never be sure where I'm going. But the Bible makes it clear that those who place their trust in Jesus can be certain of their salvation. It is an unshakable hope that cannot be taken away, and it's given to protect you in the darkest seasons of your life. The helmet of salvation will protect you in the lowest moments of your life when you feel like you've utterly failed everyone, your marriage, your children, your work, your future. When you feel like you've failed in all accounts, the helmet of salvation will protect you in the darkest seasons of your life. 1 John 5, 11 through 12 says this, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you have Jesus, you have life. Period. Remember, in the beginning of Ephesians, Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation. We talked about this. If you weren't here for that message, you could go back online and listen to this message. But we talked about how the Holy Spirit is the down payment. He's the deposit for the fullness of life yet to come. In fact, the Greek word that Paul uses for seal is the same word that they use for a wedding, an engagement ring. That essentially God has given you the Holy Spirit almost as an engagement ring to say, hey, you're mine. This is the down payment. This is the proof. This is the deposit that you belong to me. And it also lets us know that there is a wedding that is yet to come. Right? 
Now, we haven't even experienced the wedding yet. We're still in the engagement season of our relationship with Jesus. And our groom is, is returning to collect his bride someday. And we will enjoy an eternal wedding with him. Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. See, God has never lied. And he will never lie. His word has declared that Jesus' sacrifice was more than enough for the salvation of the world. And that we've been given the Holy Spirit as proof. Amen. Praise Jesus. I'm so thankful. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to talk about some of the blessings that come when we wear the helmet of salvation. When we fasten it firmly. You know, the helmet and the sword were some of the last two things that a soldier grabbed as they were heading out to, ba to battle. They'd put on the belt first to keep everything together, to circle, the, circle it around them. And then they'd put on the shoes and the, and the breastplate, right? And, and then before they left, they would make sure that they grabbed their helmet and their shield. And oftentimes they wouldn't. They would hold their helmet around their side until the battle grew fierce. And when the battle grew fierce, that's when they equipped the helmet. Because it was hard to see in a helmet. It was hot in a helmet. And so they kept their helmet by their side until they knew they were about to go into battle. Then they would place it on their head. And church, we are in the last days. And the battle is growing fierce. And now is a time for the church to remember to equip the helmet of salvation. Put it on. Because it is going to protect your mind in these dark days that we're in. I don't want to, I'm not trying to bring any fear into the room today. Because we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus wins. That he's victorious, right? And that he is, he's, he's perfectly suited us for the battle to come. But we need to remember to always equip ourselves with the helmet of salvation. The first thing that equipping yourself with the helmet brings is, number one, it brings you confident assurance. Confident assurance. <clears throat> Some people think that it's really arrogant of Christians to say that they know for sure that they're going to heaven. Come on, that is just, that is so egotistical of you that is so self-righteous of you to say that you know for sure that you're going to heaven what makes you so special but there's absolutely nothing arrogant about saying this because many people think that christians say this to to declare uh, that they're talking about their good behavior they're talking about their righteousness but they're not See, a Christian who is sure of their salvation fully admits that they are unworthy, that they are completely reliant on a perfect Savior. It's not arrogance. It's confident assurance. I can stand before you today and tell you that I know for certain that I'm going to heaven, not because I'm good enough. In fact, it's because I am, I'm a failure. I'm weak. I'm not good enough. And my hope is not placed on my actions. It's, it's placed on what Jesus did for me. That is the only reason I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus' blood was good enough. It truly brought me salvation. If God himself has given you salvation, think about this. God is the ultimate judge. He is the one who's deciding who will spend eternity with him and who won't. And if he is the one who gave you salvation... Who can take it away? Who can take away salvation if God himself is the one who gave it to you? I remember 
I went to Israel in 2010, and we were, it was towards the end of the trip, we were doing some shopping for our friends. We were taking home some souvenirs, and I was looking for some scarves, and I happened to be in the Muslim quarter, and I was looking for some cashmere scarves to take home to my, my mom and my sister. And uh, as I was bartering with one of these men at the marketplace, he starts, he was offended at the price that I offered him for one of the scarves. And me, I'm new to bartering. I don't like bartering. In fact, I hate garage sales because I don't like haggling with people. And I offered him an extremely low price for a scarf, and he begins to curse at me. You stupid American! He's yelling at the top of his lungs, but he didn't call me stupid. He used a different word. You stupid American, get out of here! And I'm still, you know, four blocks away, and he's still shouting at the top of his lungs how much he doesn't like me. And I did not feel safe. I did not feel a confident assurance about my ability to defend myself in the Muslim quarter. Right? But I went out a few days later with a friend of mine. His name is Christian, which I think is ironic. And Christian is a former NFL player. He's six foot five, and he is just pure muscle, bald head, big beard. The guy looks like an assassin. And, but he's the sweetest person you'd ever talk to. He's got the biggest smile. He just loves Jesus with all of his heart. And so I decided next time I'm going to the Muslim quarter, I'm taking Christian with me. And let me tell you, when you're walking beside a six-foot-five muscular bald-headed beast of a man, you have confident assurance that nobody is going to, nobody's going to steal anything from you. Nobody's going to snatch away anything from you. I was confident. And this is the kind of confidence that, that God wants to give you to know that he is the creator of the universe. He is the one who decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. But we have a say, obviously, based on our acceptance of Jesus in our life. But if God is the one who decides that, who can take it away? He is the strong man beside you at all times. And he's protecting you. And it gives you a confident assurance as you live your life knowing that my salvation is not based on my ability. It's completely based on what Jesus has done for me. Isaiah 59, verse 17, it reveals that this armor of God was first adorned by Jesus himself. And it's been given to those of us who believe. In Isaiah 59, 17, it says, He the Messiah put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And he put the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. See, the Bible is saying that the armor that you wear, the armor that you as a follower of Jesus wear, it is not something that you conjured up on your own. It's not something that, uh, that you received uh, at church. It was the armor that Jesus himself wore, and he stripped it off of himself as he went to the cross, and he placed it on you. He fully exposed himself to the wrath of God by taking off his armor and giving it to those who believe in him. And so we wear the helmet of salvation, not because it's our own actions, but because it is the helmet that Jesus wore. And he has given it to his followers, to those who believe in him. If the armor was good enough for Jesus, you can be confident that it's good enough for you and I. It will protect us. It's perfectly suited. The second thing I want to talk about that salvation brings to us, the helmet, when we equip it, it brings protection and boldness. Protection and boldness. 
here's the reality. There's a lot of believers who, and, and it's okay if you're here. It's okay because I, I, I've been here too. But there are, there are a lot of people who doubt their eternal salvation. If you were like me in middle school, I gave my heart to Jesus over and over and over again. Like every summer camp, every, every retreat, if there was an altar call, I just wanted to double, triple check that I was going to heaven, right? Because I had doubt about my salvation. I wondered, did I really do the right thing? Am I, am I really, is my salvation truly secure? But here's the truth. Doubt about your eternal, sal- eternal salvation naturally leads on a trajectory that ends in despair. Because here's why. If you doubt God's desire and ability to save you ultimately, why should you believe his desire and ability to watch over you in the present storms of life? If you doubt his ultimate ability to save you, then you are not going to put your faith in his ability to save you now in the storms of life. When you face trouble and when there, is, when there are hard times coming in your life, there is not a confidence, there's not, there's not a boldness, there's, there's, this, there's not this assurance that God can do it. But hope, hope supports you in your deepest afflictions. Hope protects you when you're sick and when you're sad. Hope sustains you when you're rejected and when you are lonely. Hope bears you up when you are depressed and you're downcast. And hope strengthens you even when you stare face to face at the last enemy, which is death itself. Death shall not have its final victory because you have equipped the helmet of salvation. And your assurance is not in you, but it is in God's ability to save you. I want you to imagine for a moment that in the same day you receive two letters and you open up the first letter and you find out that your long lost relative who lives in Australia has passed away and they have left you with $10 million. Woo! Name it and claim it. Thank you, Jesus. No, that's not what we're about at our church, okay? We don't do that. We don't do the prosperity gospel thing. The second letter that you get, you open it up, and you get, it's a letter from the city, and it's a parking ticket, $50 parking ticket. Now, let me ask you, which of those two letters do you think is going to shape your day? Which of those two letters is going to shape your day? Is it the $10 million that you know is coming your way, or is it the $50 parking ticket that you got to pay tomorrow? You see, the hope of salvation overshadows our temporary trials and afflictions. These things, they may seem awful in the present, but they will not last forever. They are temporary. We have eternity with God to look forward to. In his presence, there's no pain or suffering. Hope encourages us by reminding us of the greater realities that are yet to come. That I may be stuck in the present. I might be experiencing pain in the present, in my finances, in my relationships, in my body. In sickness, but it is all just temporary. What is more, as a helmet, hope enables us to take risks, to boldly and faithfully step into the things that God calls us to do. And when we step out into the unknown, hope reminds us that we are safe in God's hands. There are things that I will do on a snowboard if I'm wearing padding and a helmet that I will not do if I'm not protected. But hope 
allows us to risk just a little bit more, to step out into the unknown. When God calls you to do something that's scary, hope provides a, an assurance that God has got you in his hands, that you are protected. And it gives you a boldness knowing that you are protected, knowing that you are in God's hands, that he has got my back, he's on my side. Now, the Bible doesn't promise that God is going to glorify us in every effort to serve him. Our attempts sometimes end in failure from a human perspective. Even when we are genuinely pursuing his leading, we might fail in our marriages. I know some marriages in this room have fallen apart. We might fail in that area. In our parenting, we feel like we've completely failed. In our careers, Maybe you were let go from a job or you just feel like you failed in that area and are and are ministering even, whether through adverse circumstances or our own sin. Yet, here's the promise. Even in that apparent failure, the Lord promises to glorify himself in and through us. Our labor in Christ cannot and will not ultimately be in vain, even if the only visible fruit is a single human life, and that life is your life. That sometimes we feel like there's not much to show from our efforts, but God promises that nothing is in vain when you are in Christ. Because God, even though it might appear that you are failing at certain areas of our life, he, you ha we have to trust that he is truly doing a transformational work as long as we are following Jesus, as long as we are remaining at his side, that sometimes the only life that is changing is your life. We grow in gratitude to God who called us, who sustains us by his grace. As we equip the helmet of salvation, we receive protection and we receive boldness. And here's the last thing that I want to talk about. It is we receive an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective. Many people would be glad to escape going to hell, but they're quite happy to settle for the best that this world can give, for the best that, that is temporary. If they could make some money, if they could have some friends and a family, find some measure of satisfaction, that would be good enough for many people. Their best life now in this world is all that they seek. And as Christians, though, we have a hope that one day we're going to live in God's presence forever. We're going to be made perfect, fit to live before the presence of God. We're supposed to view our lives through an eternal perspective. That life right now is not about me. It is not about you. Your life now is not about finding a, a measure of satisfaction for yourself. Your life now is about giving your lives to the service of others, just as Jesus did. Because when Jesus came, that was his sole purpose, to give his life for the service of other people, knowing that one day the pain is going to cease, the hardship is going to cease. You will be in the presence of God for all eternity. So your life now is to bless the world around you. It is not about us. I long to get rid of my weaknesses, my sinfulness, my, my lack of love for others, my pride, my half-heartedness, and my hard-heartedness. 
And I know that it will happen one day. And I want that day to be soon. Do you, do you share that feeling with me? That desire to be made perfect and complete in God's presence. We know that we are in a process of sanctification. Now, church, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about trying to be a perfect person. I'm talking about the process of sanctification. There's two words real quick that I want to mention. There's the word justification, which is what happened when you receive the blood of Jesus on your life, when you say yes to the invitation of salvation, the Bible says that you have been justified, which means that in that moment, it's as if you never sinned, just as if I'd never sinned. And you are justified the moment you say yes to Jesus. But the Bible also tells us that as we grow and mature in Christ, it's called, uh, it's called, uh, why am I, but it's called discipleship, really. It's, a, it's our spiritual journey, and it's an act of sanctification. It's the process by which we become more and more like Jesus, and it's a lifelong process. And we won't fully experience the completeness of that until we're on the other side of eternity, when we're in the presence of God. And so my charge to you this morning is put aside the things that hold you back. Your earthly ambitions, your earthly desires, your pet sins, the things that weigh more heavily on your mind than God, and press on towards the goal. What things consume your thoughts? What things consume? Look at your calendar. If you want to figure out what's truly important to you, look at your bank account and look at your calendar. Your calendar. Where do you spend your money and where do you spend your time? It will show you what's truly important to you. And press on towards the goal. Live up to your hope, but always remember that the heartbeat of your hope does not lie in the success of your present pursuit of holiness, but it's in the sovereign and saving work of God. So my question today is how can we stir up our hope so that it becomes this vital force in our life, this burning inside of us, this fire in our hearts and I think the key really lies in remembering and thinking often about the promises of our salvation. Equipping that helmet. If you've forgotten about the $10 million inheritance by the time the parking ticket hits, then your hope cannot do anything to protect you. You have to remember what is to come. The promise is yet to come. But if you spend your every moment of the day thinking and planning and wondering and visualizing your new life as a millionaire, the parking ticket is less likely to throw you into a downward spiral of despair. And that is the hope that we're supposed to visualize and come back to constantly is to remember that there is a promise that God has given me that I am still to receive. I know a lot of young women a lot of young single women who read Bride magazine and imagine the day of their wedding. Any ladies in the room, did you, have you ever visualized, before you got married, did you ever visualize your wedding day? Yeah, we got some hands up. Yeah, we read Bride magazine. My wife loves Say Yes to the Dress. Any ladies in the room watch this ridiculous show? It's okay. You, you're, you're in, don't worry, you're not alone. Say Yes to the Dress, yeah. And my wife says that she would even act out the wedding ceremony with some of her friends, right? She would visualize it. Come on, not like that. She would pretend. And some single women, you know, they only need a look from a cute guy. 
to trigger images of their wedding day. If you're single, stand up. We're going to put you together with somebody else in the room. Just kidding. No, how much more profoundly should our thoughts be shaped constantly by our hope of heaven? We need to study those passages of Scripture that talk about what heaven is going to be like. We need to read books and listen to sermons that flood your thinking with the gospel and with the hope that is to come. Because when you think about eternity, the present is less likely to throw you into despair. Think about what it's going to be like to stand before God and enjoy his presence forever. I'm going to invite Mary and the, and the band to come up as we begin to close this time. We're going to move into baptisms in a minute. But I want you to just close your eyes with me in this moment. Imagine stepping into the presence of God and, and God embracing you with his big arms as he looks into your eyes and he says, Welcome, my daughter. Welcome, my son. Welcome, because Jesus died for you. Enter into your inheritance. Well done. Reflect on what that salvation cost. Each time you come to the Lord's table, every time we take communion together, remember what that salvation cost in heaven. That Jesus' body was broken for your salvation. His blood was shed as the foundation for the new covenant that undergirds your hope, it supports your hope. Remind yourself of how much you have been forgiven, even today. Before we go into baptisms, I just feel like I'm supposed to give you an invitation for salvation, that there, there are some people in this room who have not said yes to Jesus, or maybe you need to recommit to that decision. And come back. Come back to the, to, the, to the love that you once had. If that's you in this room and you've never said yes to the person of Jesus with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, if that's you and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to experience the hope that is in my salvation, the assurance that is in my salvation, the protection and the boldness to have an eternal perspective. If that's you, could you just be bold and raise your hand? I'm not gonna invite you up here. I'm not gonna embarrass you. Yeah, keep your hands raised. Let me see those hands all across the room. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I see your hands. About six or seven hands are raised right now. If there's anybody else, put your hands down. Would everybody repeat this with me? Jesus, I'm sorry for the sin that has filled my life. I repent of that life and I turn towards you. Would you come into my life and fill me with your spirit? Give me the ability to resist temptation power of your spirit to do your work. I love you with all of my heart, and I commit to serving you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we lift up a shout of praise for the people who just gave their life to Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord.
This is a day. This is a day to remember. Do not leave this place unchanged. And, and don't leave this place without sharing with somebody the decision that you made. Because there's so much power in what just happened. Your life has been altered forever. But it needs now to be supported by the community of the church. It needs now to be supported. Your relationship with Jesus is not meant to be lived in isolation. Salvation is not just for you, but it is meant to be shared with others. It is now the, the ability, the thing that empowers you to go and do the work of the kingdom of heaven, and it needs to be shared with other people. And so before you leave today or when you get home, share this decision that you've made with somebody else. I'm so thankful. I'm so glad that you're here. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song and in a moment, we're going to witness some of our church family members being submerged into the waters of baptism. And I want to clarify something before we do this. That baptism has nothing to do with bringing about our salvation. Some, some denominations, uh, you know, the, the Catholic Church might even tell you that, that uh, baptism, that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. But baptism is a confirmation and a declaration of your salvation. It is this act where as you go into the water, you are declaring that your old self has died with Jesus. And as you come out of the water, you are being resurrected into new life with Jesus. And it's a public declaration to those watching that you have decided to follow Jesus and follow in the footsteps of your creator. So as we watch these people be baptized today, know that this is their declaration. This is the truth that they want to share with us. Let's sing this song. And those of you who are being baptized, you can go and get changed. And at the end of this song, we're going to invite you into the tank.